0: Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you again today. We are excited for the word that you have in store for us. Maybe not understanding fully what you're going to tell us, but yet we're excited because we believe that you have a word for us, Lord. Therefore, we ask you that you would help us to plow up the foul ground of our souls, Lord God. Lord God, we also ask you that you would forgive us of our sins, Lord, if there's anything within us. Anything in our actions, anything in our words, anything in our thought life, Lord God, that's between us and you. We ask you that you would demolish it right now in Jesus' name. Because, Father, if we're going to have access to you, if we're going to have full understanding, Lord God, we must bring that confession to you right now. So this is what we do in the name of Jesus. And Now, Father, I ask you that you cover every person under the sound of my voice. Their souls, their spirits, their minds, with the blood of Jesus Christ, break down the barriers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you turn with me to Second Samuel uh, chapter 23? Second Samuel chapter 23, beginning in verse 20. The passage reads, And Benaiah the son of Jehoiada was a valiant man of Cobziel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two ariels of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man, Uh, The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaiah uh, went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the hand, out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. These things did Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and won a name beside the three mighty men. He was renowned among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three. And David set him over his bodyguard. Well, you are great because God has made you great. You are great because God has made you great. As we've heard before, like other mighty men, Benaiah was mighty not because of his own strength, or because of his own know-how, but because of his faithfulness to God. Now one thing as we read through this passage, and you take a look for yourself, that should be blazingly clear. And that is, that the Lord's name is never mentioned. Not one time did it say that God did this or God did that. Or God told Benaiah, go this way, go to the right, go forward, move back. Never once was God's name mentioned. I got to point this out because we could falsely assume because God's name is not mentioned, he's not a part of the story. But just because the name of the Lord is not mentioned That doesn't mean that he's not actively present and actively working in and through people. We know the Lord is present because uh, he was the all-empowering presence of these mighty men that we've already read, right? And and, and last time uh, when I brought part one of this message, we understood that the reason that they were so mighty was because they had King David's interest in mind. Right? You mean God liked them because they were following King David? Yes, it's very true. But the other part of that is because King David was following whom? He was following God. You know, have you heard the phrase follow me as I do what? Right, so if I don't follow God God, then you should what? Not follow me. Simple as that. If I don't follow God, you should not follow me. Uh, That should automatically disqualify me. Simple as that. No excuses. Simple as that. Difficult, but hard. So these mighty men that we've heard about beginning in verse 8 in this chapter, all the way to the end of the chapter, uh, they had the interests of King David in mind cause their god was Yahweh. So reading these verses, we see that Beniah uh, that he's referred to in a very positive light. Uh, look at all the adjectives uh, in this section from verse 20 all the way to, through 23. How do they refer to Beniah? Uh, they call him valiant. They call him a doer of great deeds. Not of good deeds, but of great deeds that he won a name, and they called, and uh, they said that he was renowned. You know, if there's anything to be said of you or me, after we've left, or now, or sometime in the future, wouldn't these be a great string of adjectives to be called? Wouldn't you like to be called valiant? I don't know. Wouldn't you like to be called a great doer of deeds? I don't know. I, I think I would but not because of myself, but all because I represented the Lord. Here it says here in this passage, if you uh, want to turn quickly to 1 Chronicles, not Corinthians, 1 Chronicles, chapter 27, verse 5, says, uh, Beniah was a son of Jehoiada. Uh, Jehoiada, he was a priest, and, and not simply a priest, he was a, a chief priest. All these things they come together because it tells us that Jehoiada grew up in a household where God was honored. So, when you think about raising your children, do you have an environment where God is honored in your household? Very important. Because if you do, chances are that you could be raising up the next valiant man, the next valiant woman, uh, the next man or woman of God who does great things. Looking at verse 20. Again, it calls him, here in uh, 2 Samuel 23, it calls him valiant. What does valiant mean? It means uh, someone who is alive. The very root of this word has to do with spirit. And it has to do with life itself. Uh, so uh, Beniah, he is someone who had an active spirit. He has life. James chapter 2 verse 26 says, Faith without works is... Beniah would also say the same thing, that faith without works is dead. You talk all about being a Christian. You talk all this stuff about following on the Lord. Where are your works? see, they go hand in hand. If we say we follow Christ, there should be some other things that go along with it. We're really familiar with that passage there in James. So this certainly was the case with Beniah, this mighty man, who lived out this principle. Uh, yet he was born many centuries before James had was even existed. So why do I mention this in the first place? Again, verse 20, it says uh, uh, that Benaiah, that he was a doer of great deeds. That closely, that he was a doer of great deeds. And Here, if you've read through this chapter, that one thing that you will also notice, not only is, is God not mentioned there in that passage, but when you look at the larger swatch of this chapter, you will also notice no other person was called a doer of great deeds but yet Benaiah was. So he stands in contrast to other mighty men, right? And and typically a mighty man is someone who's seen for a particular thing he did. But Benaiah, he stands in contrast of all these other men. So we must ask ourselves several questions of this passage in order to Help us understand, right? We got all this information to help us understand what God is trying to tell us today. Well, okay, another mighty man. You talked about mighty men last time, and here is another mighty man. So what? What difference does it make? If we were too, uh, too quickly to go back and to look at these other mighty men, you would see something beginning to emerge, right? What do I mean by this? You'll see how Benaiah is highlighted. He's highlighted. Again, if you go back and look at these other men, uh, more is mentioned about Benaiah than many of the other mighty men mentioned in this chapter. We call this the law of proportion. The law of proportion simply says this. The more something is focused on, the more attention something is pointed to in a conversation or in some reading, that means that is the main thrust of what's being said, right? I like what my wife says sometimes. She says, you know, I was talking to so-and-so, and and they asked me, why are you always talking about your husband? You're always talking about your husband all the time, right? Right? She was, you know, talking about her husband because I'm going to take a line out of Mr. Joseph, right? Because her husband is a bad mama chama, That's why, right? right? When something is important to you, you do what? You talk it up, right? Whether it is a spouse, whether it is your child. You know, when, you're, when your child does something really nice, you talk about it, right? Right? When your child, remember when your child first learned how to walk? You're telling everybody, finally, my child can walk. My child can walk. That's all you're talking about. Why? Because that's the thing on your mind and you're proud of it. And here, Scripture has taken a magnifying glass and it has placed it on Benaiah. Why? Because God says it's important. Sometimes understand that Scripture, to understand it, it takes time. You may have to be patient. You may have to pray a lot for Scripture to yield its fruit. But in the end, it is well worth the devotion and waiting on the Lord. So as I mentioned before, Beniah was a doer of great deeds. Okay, you said, I get that, right? I I understand that. Uh, But I would like for you to look at several of the passages. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 34. Deuteronomy 4 verse 34 very important and I'm reading now or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials by signs by wonders and by war by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by here it is great deeds of terror All of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? It's a question. Now, Deuteronomy 26, verse 8. Deuteronomy 26, verse 8. And it says, The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Here it is again. With what? With great deeds of terror, it says, with signs and wonders. This exact phrase, great deeds, it's, it's mentioned five times in the Old Testament, specifically in the ESV, uh, the one that we're reading. And uh, Three are in reference to the Lord, and the other two are mentioned of Benaiah. So uh, this idea of doing great things, uh, three of the passages are mentioned of the Lord, mentioned of Yahweh, and the other two are mentioned of Benaiah, the Lord comes first. First, then Benaiah comes second. So there's only five times in all the Old Testament in the ESV that great deeds is mentioned. What this simply seems to tell us is that Benaiah has been imparted the spirit of great deeds because this power comes from God. So the very great deeds that Benaiah was accomplishing, the things that he was doing here, it was because of what God had imparted to him. So ultimately, all the great things that we can do, it is a reflection of the power of the Lord at work in us. But you may say, well, that's great for Benaiah. It may be great for those other Old Testament characters. But what does that have to do with us who are in Christ. They're doing all these miraculous things. What does this have to do with me? Now, here it is. I mentioned before. Uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. This is it. This is it. Now, the ESV says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Do you believe that? Let's read this together, please, nice and loud. Come on, you have to read it, because I I don't think you believe it. Uh, Ephesians 3.20, let's read it together, please. Here we go. Now to him... Who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. So what you have asked the Lord to do for you, what have you asked for him to make a way? He can do far more abundantly than that. What have you thought about or dreamed about? That you want Jesus to do for you. His work can go far beyond that also. In fact, what you have even begged God for. Uh, and What you wanted God to do for you. What you want God to do for a loved one. And God can accomplish much, much more than that. How far can you imagine God can go beyond all of that? So scripture informs us. That we, Christians, disciples of Christ, can do far more than all we could possibly ask or think. The question is, do you believe it? The question is, do you believe it? That means that whatever you think you need to do, whatever you need to accomplish, that God can exceed those expectations here it is. Here's a question that sometimes lurk in the back of our minds. Are there limits to what God can do? I know I need God to do this. And I know I need God to do that. But are there limits in which God can accomplish? And I, and I, wanna, I want you to frame that question in a different way. So a better question to ask is this. Are there limits to what the Lord wants to accomplish through you for his glory? Are there limits to what the Lord wants to accomplish through you for his glory? You see, oftentimes what we want, uh, they're not always the same thing that what God wants. You see, a lot of times we want selfish things. Come on, face it. You know, Lord, I just need for you to... Uh, uh, I-, I need for you to eliminate, uh, uh, I-, I-, I need $1,000. Well, okay. I would give you, here it is, right? I'd give you $1,000, but as a matter of fact, I gave you $1,000 before. And when I gave you $1,000 before, you came to church, and when it was time for offering, you said, no, I'm not going to give a dime. They have enough. So now you're asking me for another thousand dollars. You have not even given me uh, pray, uh, a plate uh, honor to me in the first place, right? It's not that it's always money. It's other stuff as well, right? Uh, because uh, we uh, find ourselves in places that uh, we say that God doesn't do this and God doesn't do that. let well, see, there are no limits for what God can do. So you see. When we ask the right question, then it often yields, and here it is, the right biblical answer. Does God have any limits? Does he have any limits? Well, yes, he does. He's limited by his holiness. God is limited by his righteousness. So are there some things that God would never do? Yes, God would never sin. God would never lie. God would never cheat. God would never murder, right? That is not, not within the purview of the personhood of our Lord. So It's true that we can ask if there's limits to what God wants, but that question alone could create a sense of false hope or a false narrative about the person of God. Does God have any limits? Well, no, he doesn't, but yes, he does. But uh, so if we ask, you know, Scripture says, ask and we shall receive, seek and we shall find, knock and it shall be open unto us, right? God can do anything. Let's go ahead and have a good old-fashioned shouting party, right? But Scripture goes on to say, if it's what? Uh, Some of you know it. If it is according to his... So if you are operating within uh, the the framework of giving God glory and you're operating according to what God wants to do, then of course you ask and guess what? He'll give it to you. You seek him and you'll do what? You will find it. You knock on his door and what? It will be open to you. But if you ask, you seek, and you knock for the wrong things, God's not going to give it to you. It's not going to give it to you. So uh, whatever you're doing, you must do it for the glory of God so that your fruit will remain, else it will disappear. Uh, Jesus says here in John 15, verse 16, the gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. "...and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, or that it should remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide." Bear fruit what? For the glory of God. So, Benaiah, you thought I forgot about him, right? Benaiah, he did great things because of our great God who was at work in him. So, here we go. How do you deal with situations that are unusual or unfamiliar? How do you deal? How do we deal with situations that are unusual or unfamiliar? Right? Now back here to 2 Samuel 23. This mighty man, Beniah, he had a, a very unique ministry. The reason why the scripture speaks so much of him in comparison to specifically to one other individual uh, in the scripture here. Is because of the unusual nature of the circumstances that he had to face on a regular basis, right? And here they are, verse twenty. Number one, Beniah, that he struck two ariels of Moab, right? This word ariel uh, it can be translated as lion, right? So uh, th- these weren't two lions; uh, they were uh, two fierce men uh, that he was faced with. This title I'm sure these guys they were most feared everywhere and this was the reason why Benaiah was one of the reasons why he was able to attain uh, to the level that he had and the title that was given him you see uh, these two guys these two ariels these two lions of Moab they weren't your average run of the day thugs who's standing on a street corner somewhere right Uh, trying to find an opportunity to go bad These men, they had a reputation of victory. They had a reputation of being bad everywhere. Everybody knew that when these two arias of Moab show up, you better run, and you better run fast. They were probably two of the best men of all the nation of Moab that they could muster up. But yet, it was Benaiah who faced them, and Scripture says that it that he struck them down. What does that mean? That means he was victorious over them. Next, the scripture goes on to say that he actually had an encounter with an ariel, right? He actually had an encounter with a lion. In the previous encounter, he was faced with two men who had lion-like characteristics. But this was in terms of his fighting ability. But now Benaiah had encounter. here it is, right? Benaiah encountered a lion in a pit on a snowy day. I mean, isn't having an encounter with a lion enough? Isn't being a pit by yourself enough? Remember what happened to Joseph. His brothers threw him in the pit. He could not get out. Isn't being a pit in a pit by yourself enough? But Being in a pit with a lion on a snowy day, how on earth can you get out of that one? You see, being engaged in a battle with a lion is scary enough, but to be in a hole in the ground with that fierce creature is unthinkable for any sane person. I don't know anybody who wants to fight a lion, and I'm talking about a real lion. I'm not talking about, well, I I was going to say, I'm not even talking about the lions that you see at the circus. But to be honest, I don't even want to get in the cage with them even. No sane person wants to do that. So with the snow, he's in a pit with a lion on a day that it was snowing. And you know if it was snowing, you know it was all so cold outside. Right? And he he didn't have on North Face. He didn't have Timberlands on his feet. Didn't have long johns on or any other thermals or anything. He, he didn't have multiple, multiple, I'm not sure what he had, but he didn't have the stuff that we have today. Can you say amen? amen. Didn't have all that stuff. So now he had to be cold. That, that brother, he had to be cold. They're fighting the lion in the pit when it's snowing outside and it's cold outside. Because again, when it snows, you know it's not 90 degrees outside. So Beniah, he must have been a pretty bad dude to get in the fight with all those odds stacked against him. In fact, isn't this what I said about these mighty men last time? I said it, and I'll quote it. Uh, Being a mighty man, a woman of God, requires being in situations where the odds are stacked against you. You have to get that. If you can't remember, I'll tell you again. If you want to be a mighty man or woman of God, you must find yourself in a situation where the odds are stacked against you. Why do you say that? How else will your faith be built up? Right? Faith is the substance of things what? Hope for and the evidence of things not seen. If you're going to exercise your faith... You have to be in a place where you know you're about to die. You got to be in a place where you're on your job and everybody hates you. You got to be in a place that you walk in an environment and they all they want to do is just get rid of you. You have to be in that place where you're trying to make your life better, but every time you take one foot forward, they pull you back too, and it makes you want to cuss because you are tripped up and you can't seem to get ahead see this is where God wants you you say why does God want me there because when you come out you're going to be so strong you're going to be so mighty that you're going to be a testimony of all that God has done and will do in someone else's life so if you're going to be a mighty man if you're going to be a mighty woman of God You're going to have to find yourself in situations where the odds are stacked against you. The problem for us is simply this. We don't want to go there. Lord, I pray, just keep me all, how do we pray? Uh, I pray sometimes myself, to be honest, Lord, uh, protect us from any hurt, harm, or danger. Right? Lord, 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 may your favor and your blessings fall upon me, right? So everywhere I go, people will look at me, look at the joy of the Lord is my strength, right? Until you go through hell. Yeah. See, when you go through hell, then at that particular time, uh, when you come out of it, then you're stronger. God has solidified his presence in your life. And I submit to you, this was Beniah. Beniah was a man of faith. But you know that there are some situations that we find ourselves in that they feel as fierce as a lion. It it feels as if we're done. We've been cornered. It's over. Verse 21. In addition to the encounter with the two fierce men of Moab and the lion in the pitch on a snowy day, Benaiah also had to face an Egyptian... I just love how this is translated in, in, in 21. Verse 21, it says, and he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand. All right. So, I, you know, I, I read that. I'm like, wait a minute. What can be so wrong with a guy standing on the corner? I, scripture, now, this is not me. I don't know what he looks like. Scripture says that the man looks good. So the man looks good, and he got a spear in his hand. What's so so challenging about this guy? He looks good, looks like he he doesn't have any many marks on him. He's handsome, so on and so forth. What's wrong with that? Well, I I submit to you that in in our passage, the, the word handsome can also be translated as huge. Right? So it wasn't that it was an Egyptian, right? A black guy standing around with a knife in his hand. He was a big guy. So the focus is not on the handsomeness. The focus is on his foreignness, his bigness, and the big giant knife in his hand, right? So uh, this Egyptian, he was ready to fight, but, but who has the upper hand? On the surface, it appears that uh, this Egyptian should have had the upper hand, but he seemed to be missing something that Beniah had, right? And see, regardless of what situation that we may find ourselves in, regardless of what you may be faced with tomorrow, uh, the bottom line is that you may have something that the others don't have, and that is what? That is the Spirit of the Lord. That is the presence of Jesus Christ in your life. So regardless of what you see, you know that you can overcome and that you will overcome come in Christ now even though our passage doesn't tell us the spirit of the Lord came upon him we can make that implication again because Benai, he operated within his ministry because of his faithfulness again to whom? to King David and also the nation of Israel who were at that time trying to follow Yahweh We see it over and over again, like in Judges chapter 14, verses 5 and 6, in which Samson was with his parents, right? And and what happened with Samson, that there was a lion, a fierce lion, who came roaring, right? And, And then it says, and then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, and he tore that lion apart with his hand as if it was a goat. Because the Spirit of the Lord came, it says specifically, it rushed upon him. So Benaiah, if you haven't figured this out yet, he was a tough guy who was empowered by the spirit of the Lord to accomplish kingdom business. Right? So if you're out here acting a fool, right, and something comes up, you can't expect the spirit of the Lord to come upon you because you're acting a fool. So what was so special about Beniah in the end? Right? And see, this is, all of this is, is leading up to this one major point. And that is, the ability to deal with, again, unusual circumstances in a God-honoring way. What does it require? Unusual and unfamiliar situations that are also dangerous require a great amount of tenacity and courage to see your way through. If anyone could do it, then everybody's name would be listed in the Scripture. I'll say it again. If anybody could face an unfamiliar and unusual situations over and over again, then all of our names would be plunked right down there in Scripture. <laughs> face it, the average person, most of us, may look at a circumstance like these. and soon as, we, as soon as we come face to face with this situation, we freeze. Freeze, we don't know what to do words, how do we know what to do when we have not been trained to do a certain task? Because you may say to yourself, you know, uh, if I was trained, I could face that. Right? If I had all of my resources, but what happens when it pops up? What happens when you show up to work tomorrow and then all of a sudden, you got somebody, they're ready to have a meeting with you. Right? What happens? Do you fight? Do you flee? Or freeze? In fact, Some may even plead for mercy. Oh, have mercy on me. Or some just say, you know what? I give up. Just forget it all. But what happened to your faith? What happened to that in which God has put it into your life? Did it disappear? We must grow. In times like these, we must dig deep. We must remember who we are in Christ. So here it is. Be proactive and face your fears head on. Say it again. Be proactive and face your fears head on. Go ahead and face it head on. You're going to say, well, we've already read this passage, so I don't see what you're talking about. Well, let's let's take a look. Tell you this, number one, putting your head in the sand is not going to help. Don't ignore it. Don't hide we do this because we believe the problem will sometimes magically disappear. But you and I know that oftentimes our problems they ain't going anywhere. When you finish taking your head out to sand, guess what's going to still be there? Problem's still going to be there. Whether it's that doctor's appointment that you know that you need to make. I remember, I had to make a doctor's appointment. I put it off for like three years. I'm like, I don't even want to deal with it. When I finally went in and everything was good, I'm like, why well, didn't I did not do that before? Right? What about that bill that you know you need to make arrangements for? That difficult discussion that you've been putting off with that person. In fact, it might even be something the Lord has been directing your attention to about yourself. All this, this is what this is maybe about. About your character. About your response to things. So now let's return to the end of verse 20. You to look at this. So we see, first off, that Beniah is not just in a pit with a lion on a snowy day, but he actually jumped into the pit. What? The end of the verse reads, he also went down and struck down a lion in a pit. What? So here I am on my way to the grocery store. It's snowing outside. There's a big giant hole in the ground. And from... The hole in the ground. I hear, roar! And I'm just on my way to the grocery store to pick up a loaf of bread. So, it's snowing outside. Imagine all this snow, right? I hear the roar. What I decide to do is jump in the hole. doesn't make sense. It makes no sense at all. He went down and he struck down the lion in the pit. Some say that, well, on the one hand, maybe uh, the lion was doing his business and maybe he accidentally slipped into the pit because it was snowing after all. Also, uh, another technique they used to use in ancient times was they would build a, a, a hole in the ground because if lions were loose uh, and they would try to trap the lion and the lion would just basically go walking or running, whatever, and he would slip down into the pit. So this was also, it could have been uh, 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 one of the ways they would try to trap a lion. But I get that, right? Whether he slipped in accidentally, right, or whether they did it on purpose, the last thing I want to do is jump down there with him. So he jumped down there with him and then he killed him in the pit. See, I'm going to tell you, Beniah. more power to you, brother. But what I would have done was, I would have got some sticks and some stones, and I would have started throwing it down there first. I ain't jumping in no lion in a pit on a snowy day and then fight the lion. I'm going to fight you from up here, right? That's what I'm going to do. I'm not sure what you're going to do. Fascinating. So for some reason, Beniah, the scripture doesn't tell us, but Beniah saw an issue here whatever it was, whatever that issue that he saw, he jumped down into the ground with a lion. Next, how did he deal with the Egyptian in verse 21? Scripture says he did what? He went down to him and snatched a spear out of his hand. What? He must, this, this guy must have been really a, a bad dude. Here's this huge Egyptian, right? Maybe he used to play for the Lakers, or you know, something like that. Like, let's say he's seven feet tall, right? However big he was, he, the scriptures say he was huge. Or if you want to use handsome, he was handsome, right? He's a handsome dude, right? Whatever he was, he was threatening with a spear in his hand. And what Benaiah decides to do, he took the fight to him. You see, he took the fight to the lion. Will you take the fight to your problem? See, the difference is that when you take the fight to your problem, you better take Jesus with you. Because if you don't take Jesus with you, you're going to lose. So when there is a problem, don't keep sticking your head in the sand. Don't keep ignoring it. Go in the name of Jesus Christ. Yes, be wise. But go in the name of the Lord. I believe that the other lesson that we learn from Benaiah is not to allow fear to sabotage the plan that God has for you. Don't allow fear to sabotage God's plan. And again, it does this by paralyzing us and preventing us from moving forward. Fear does this by uh, keeping us from doing the things that God wants us to do. Else fear becomes a roadblock to the best that God has in store for you and your family. Come on. Don't you think it's finally time to be courageous? I mean, come on. Let's tell the truth. Isn't it finally time to face those challenges that you are afraid of? What you've been waiting on. You are the Lord's man or woman if you're in Christ and if you are in Christ if God is for you who or what can be against you if God is on my side and I am following him and worshiping him and glorifying him what can be against me Ask yourself that question. What can be against you? And I'm here to tell you nothing, brothers and sisters. Be strong in the Lord. Right? Strong in the Lord. Stand strong in the Lord. Put on the full armor of God because you've got to fight. Right? You're going to fight either way it goes. You're going to fight. Yeah, your fight may not come to you today. You may not have had a good fight yet. But that fight is coming, and when it comes, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes or the wiles of the adversary who wants to kill you, destroy you and sift you as wheat. Oh, the fight is coming. This is what this is about. And if you don't prepare yourself now, when you finally find yourself in the midst of it, then it's too late. You are a mighty man or woman of God, a mighty boy or girl in the Lord if you know Jesus Christ. Will you stand strong or will you run away? As I've said before, faith is not for the weak of heart. It is for those whose heart is bent and turned towards the Lord. Let's pray.